My name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here, and it's a joy for me to welcome you all here as well. Last week, Sunday morning, we started a sermon series uh, that we're calling 24, The Journey to the Cross. And what we're doing in this series is looking at the, the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus, the, the 24 hours that start on Thursday at sunset and go through Friday at sunset, in which Jesus spends time in the upper room with his disciples in which Jesus goes with his disciples to pray in Gethsemane, where he's arrested, where he has various trials, and then ultimately is brought to the cross, dies, and is buried. And so these are 24, I believe, of the most important hours in human history. This is the centerpiece of everything. And so we're going to continue to to look at this, and and we're still right at the beginning of things. Uh, Again, we're going to start a little bit early um, with Thursday morning. We're going to, the 24-hour start Thursday at sunset, but on Thursday morning, Jesus is not in Jerusalem yet. You can see a, a map of Jerusalem there. Uh, if you were here last week, then you would know that the, the dashed area is the temple. Below that, the city of David, lower city, upper city, and so on. Uh, the Kidron Valley here, the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is over here in Bethany, about two miles east of Jerusalem itself. Jesus is there in Bethany, staying at the home of Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. And uh, early on that Thursday, he sends two of the disciples, Peter and John, to go into Jerusalem and to get things ready. So they went on this path that Jesus himself would follow later over the Mount of Olives, down the Kidron Valley, and then into the city of Jerusalem. If we look at it from a model, and we introduced this last week, Jesus and the disciples, uh, at this point early on the day, just Peter and John, but later Jesus and the rest would have come down the Kidron Valley there, entered again just below the city of David, the old city. They would have made their way through the lower city, the poorer section of Jerusalem, and up into the upper city uh, to a place where there was an upper room. Uh, again, we probably, it was probably in this area. We don't know exactly where it was, but in this area, because in the lower city, the, the poorer folks would not have had extra rooms. So this was probably the home of a wealthier follower of Jesus. And, and Jesus and his disciples gathered there, all right? Peter and John went early to a room that might have looked something like this. Again, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but when they got there, they would have done two things. They would have done two important things. The first thing they would have done is they would have swept the place. Uh, For a a Jewish person celebrating the Passover, which is what they were going to do there, you had to make sure there was no leaven, all right? Leaven was a sign of sin. Leaven was a sign of, of evil. And so they would go in, and even if the room was clean, they would sweep it all down. In, in fact, what they often do today, as I understand it, in, in a, a Jewish home when they celebrate the Passover, is the, the, they'll clean the entire house, but then they'll leave just a little bit of leaven someplace. And, and when the, the father of the family, when the one who's leading the, the meal starts, uh, he'll find that, sweep it up, throw it out, and then declare the home ready. So Peter and John would have been there, they would have, uh, uh, they would have cleaned up the home, and then they would have taken the lamb, and they would have taken that lamb over to the temple, probably walking again. Uh, and, and again, it's a half a mile across Jerusalem, uh, and, and so a little less than a half a mile that they would have to walk uh, in these roads. But again, remember, uh, this is a city that usually had 30,000 people, maybe 40,000 people. At Passover time, it's between 200 and 250,000. So the streets are just jam-packed, and Peter and John are carrying this lamb. And, and so again, last week I said it's kind of like Black Friday the Mall, this week, think about it, and I recognize it's like the mall on Black Friday, but everybody has to carry a lamb. And, and so you want to talk about a mess. Uh, and, and so there are 200,000 people there. They're all taking their lambs to the temple. Um, and and uh, again, they would come in through that back part. Either they would come in and go right into kind of the inner courts of the temple. That's where a normal sacrifice would be held. But my guess is they probably had people all the way around out here. 
Because just do a little math with me a second, and again, trying to get a sense of, of what an unbelievable time this would have been. If we have, let's just say 200,000 people, all right? 200,000 people in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. A Passover lamb, you need to kind of figure 10 people for each lamb. Somebody do the math. That's 20,000 lambs to be sacrificed on this day. 20,000 lambs. Each one has to have certain prayers. Each one has to have blood thrown on the altar. Each one has to have part of the lamb thrown on there. And, and so if you can just imagine this whole area, they had to start earlier in the day. Ideally, everything happens at 3 o'clock. But they had to start earlier in the day to get 20,000 lambs. Some people suggest there were 100 priests, 100 stations there sacrificing these lambs, taking some of the blood, throwing it on the altar. When I was in uh, Jerusalem a, a little under two years ago, uh, the guy we were with, with suggested that, you know, you think about 20,000 lambs, 25,000 lambs, and that much blood. The, the temple, the smell, the, the, the blood all over, but they also would have probably, uh, he, he suggested, had the, the blood um, flow down into the Kidron Valley. And so if you can imagine that, the Kidron Brook now flows red with blood of the Lamb. All right? And we'll think about that again, Jesus crossing through that to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and walking through that. And so I, I, I get 20,000. So Peter and John would have taken the lambs there and then would have returned back here uh, to the upper room. Jesus and the disciples would have made their way along the Kidron Valley and they too would have uh, made their way there to the upper room. We suggested last week that it would have been set up something like this, a low table with three sides Uh, Jesus at the head of the table would have been over here, okay? Uh, Not here on this end, but he would have been over on this end over here. Um, That was where the head of the table was. John, uh, the disciple John, uh, was on his right. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays him, is on his left. And that's the place of of highest honor because that's the one Jesus would serve, okay? They'd be leaning down, reclining on their left arm, and, and you would be served by the person to your right, and you would serve the person to your left, and, and so to think about just that picture of Jesus serving Judas, who he knows is going to turn him over to be crucified, loving him in that way and serving him in that way. We talked last week about the, the, the basin and about washing feet and how nobody wanted to do it, but Jesus stepped up and did it. And this week, we'll talk about the reason why they gathered together there, and that was to celebrate the Passover, all right? That was to celebrate this amazing meal. The Passover was deeply ritualistic, okay? It was so ritualistic. I don't know if we have anything in our culture and in our lives that is quite the same. I mean, everything was done the same way every year. Same questions asked, same passages read, same songs that were sung. I was trying to think of where in our lives we might experience that. Maybe for some of you it's Christmas. Maybe you have a very clear Christmas tradition, that this happens, and then we open this, then we open this, and then we do this, and we do this. For me, as I thought about it, I thought of Thanksgiving when I was growing up with the cool family. When we would have Thanksgiving with our cool family, uh, the extended cousins and so on, we would gather together. There would be a welcome. Oftentimes my dad did that. It was a, a welcome of everybody there. And then there would be a reading or recitation of Psalm 100, I learned early in my life that if you could memorize it, Aunt Hazel would love you. And, and so somebody would say or read Psalm 100, then we would sing, um, now thank we all our God, right? Okay, we would sing, now thank we all our God. I'm old, okay? Now thank we all our God. And then we'd do praise and thanksgiving in a round, you know, praise and thanksgiving. And, and this was a group that liked to sing. And then we would do uh, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. 
then somebody would pray, then we would eat, and then we would play games. That, that was just, I mean, it was always the same. You could count on it. Uh, occasionally, we might sing a different song, but for the most part, it was always the same. Uh, maybe you have some of those. In some ways, I don't mean to be silly with this, but I want to suggest that one of the places our culture gets mostly really, deeply ritualistic is tailgating. Those people who own, you know, go to football games and, and, and who have season tickets, right? We leave our house at this time. We park in this spot. We fire up the grill here. We have our first pop here. We have, and it's just right down the line. And there are some people, you watch that, and it's the same. Time after time after time. And, and it's that deeply ritualistic. That's what this Passover meal was. It was a deeply ritualistic meal, and almost everything had a meaning. And, and, and so it would all be explained. Interesting, I don't know if you knew this, but the meal would take about five hours. The disciples and Jesus would have started this about seven o'clock and they would have finished about midnight. It would take about five hours. And the purpose of the ritual, the purpose of the meal was at one level, it was to tell a story. Okay? It was to tell the story of the Exodus. It was to tell the story of the family that we were slaves in Egypt, but God rescued us. It was to tell that story. But, but really, if you want to understand it, and, and I want us to challenge it because we do a, a meal of remembrance at the close of the service today. We're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave us a new meal to do. But we have to understand something, and, and I want to challenge you to think about it as, as we go through this service and as we go forward uh, out of this place. But, but it wasn't just to tell the story. It was to live the story. Uh, it, it was to live the story. Uh, one rabbi I heard talking about this said, you know, it's a little play done in everybody's home. You didn't just talk about it, you experienced it, and you entered into it. And I'll show you some of the ways that they did that in, in just a minute. But a rabbi by the name of Amy, Amy Katz um, said this, and Adam Hamilton quotes her, but, but she said, the goal of the Passover is this, you start out as a slave, and at the end of the night, you are free. You start out as a slave. This, this meal is, is, is to experience all of this. So as I said, it's the story of the Exodus, right? That's what, that's what they were uh, remembering. That's what they were living through. And, and just let me give you a quick overview of that. Uh, again, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. Life was bitter. They had gone down to Egypt at a time when, when they needed to. Joseph was second in command, and, and uh, his brothers and his dad came, and, and, and initially they were in a great place. It was sweet, but over the course of time, they became slaves, and for 400 years they were locked in slavery, and at the end it was unbelievably bitter. Unbelievably bitter. They had to make more and more bricks with less and less material. They didn't make bricks for the pyramids, by the way. It was for storehouses for Ramesses. Um, but, they, but they had to make more and more bricks, and they were, and they were forced to do that. And, and then the Egyptians said there were too many of them, so they started killing all the baby boys. And, and so the people of God just cried out. They cried out to God, and, and God heard their cries. God heard their cries. And he sends Moses to go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And, and, and some of you know the story. The plagues come. The first ones are kind of nuisances. Kind of saying, Pharaoh, this is not going to be pretty for you. All right, let my people go. And they get more intense and more intense and more intense until finally the final plague, the ultimate plague, the death of all the firstborn sons. This was something that happened to every family in Egypt, except for the people of God. And in order to mark their homes, the people of God were to do several things. On that day, Moses gave them clear instructions. You are to sacrifice a lamb. 
And you are to take some of the blood and you are to put it on the doorpost with a hyssop branch. You're to paint your doorpost red with the blood of the lamb. That was so that when the angel of death came through and saw blood on the door, the blood of the lamb, they would pass over. That's why it's called the Passover. They would pass over that home. They would do that, then they would eat the lamb, having roasted it. They would eat the lamb, and during this time they would also eat unleavened bread. And and that was because the Egyptians were going to make them leave so quickly that they didn't have time to let the bread rise. They did that, God saved them, and, and very shortly after they got out in the desert, God said, now I want you to remember this every year, okay? I want you to remember this every year. You've got to, on these days, celebrate the Passover. You've got to do this meal once again. And and, and so they did. But like I say, they didn't just tell it. Because what happens today and what happened with Jesus and his disciples is that when they talked about life being bitter, they ate bitter herbs, okay? They ate bitter herbs. And, And in our day, what they often eat is horseradish. And no, I'm not going to eat any in front of you because that's just, but they did that. Why? Because they didn't want to just say, yeah, I, I, I know life was bitter. No, they wanted to, they wanted to taste that bitterness. Uh, the fact is sometimes they'll use wasabi because they want to cry. They, they want to experience that. They want to live into the story. And, and, and that's a challenge to me because I think so often in situations like this, uh, you know, I say, ah, you know, I can remember it with my head good enough. But, you know, they, they, these people were pretty smart. and They knew something about saying, it wasn't just remembering. I needed to feel it. I needed to taste it. Uh, today, they've added a tradition where many Jewish families will dip spar- parsley in salt water and eat that to, to remind them of the tears that they cried. And so they lived into the story. They lived into the story of remembering their slavery. We're going to think about that more a little bit later. When God heard their cries and and they read that part of the story, they would sing a psalm together. They'd give a shout together. They would indeed, as as I said, Peter and John would have gone. They would have had that lamb sacrificed. They did not put blood on the doorpost, but they did drink wine, which reminded them of blood. They ate the lamb and they ate the unleavened bread. And so during this meal, during this meal, they experienced it. They lived the story. It was their family story. Uh, again, as Amy Katz says, you start out as a slave, and at the end of the night, you are free. It was a, a family story. And, and I want you to just kind of think of your family stories. The fact is, most of us have them. My great-grandpa came over from the Netherlands. He was a great skater there. He won a pair of skates, silver skates. This is true. He won a pair of silver skates and given to him by the queen of the Netherlands. My grandpa, my, uh, my grandpa was a plumber in Holland. My dad, a car dealer. Morally, we're going downhill. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but you've got a family story. You've got stories that you tell about Uncle So-and-so or about whatever. My family came from Korea. My family came from Africa. My family came from wherever. My family was here a long time. My family came to in- from England on the Mayflower. Right? We all have a family story. This is the Jewish family story. And we live it out because it's us. It's who we are. We are a people who were slaves and our God set us free. And so Jesus and his disciples would have started that meal. And during it, what we need to understand for our purposes is Jesus made two significant changes during the course of that meal. I wish I had the time to go through everything. I don't. But the first amazing change comes after the second cup of wine. The second cup of wine. There were four. 
There were four cups of wine. That's why I've got these four goblets out here to, to just kind of help us to picture that. But if you were to go to a Passover, each of the places at, at, at the, the room that we looked at there, each of those places would have had four cups of wine there. Um, perhaps another one, because you could also drink wine. This is five hours. You could drink other wine between these cups. But there were four cups that were significant, and it's based on the promises God made in Exodus 6 before the Exodus, before he took the people out. Look at Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7 with me once. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and, watch this, four promises, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Second, I will free you from being slaves to them. Third, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And fourth, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. So in Jesus' day and still today, when Jewish people celebrate the Passover, there is the first cup of wine where, where the, the leader of the family would take that and, and would pour that first cup and would speak the words of blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Elohim, Melech HaOlam. Blessed, is the, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine speak those words and they would drink that and then they would have hors d'oeuvres and they would take some time and then would come the second cup which is the cup of salvation I will save you and that cup would be poured and at the pouring of this cup they would tell what is called the Haggadah the telling before we take communion we're going to we're going to tell, say, speak the words of the Nicene Creed that's our Haggadah that's our story and so they would tell this story and, and it was during that time, that they would celebrate the main meal, the breaking of the bread. Again, it would have been unleavened bread, so I actually went out and got some unleavened bread. You can see it's very flat, very dry. Um, it was unleavened bread. And, and Jesus would have, at this point, again, we're probably an hour and a half maybe already into the meal, but Jesus would have taken the bread and he would have given thanks. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And as he broke it, he did something nobody had ever done before. And, and I don't know if you can imagine what it would have been like for those disciples. Because what Jesus did is, it was normal to break it and to say, eat of this, all of you. But Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body. And I don't know if we could put ourselves into the, the, the shoes, the sandals, well, the bare feet now of the disciples. Because all of a sudden Jesus says this, and nobody had ever said these words before. Nobody had ever said these words before. And I don't think the disciples got it. I don't think they went, oh, I see what's going on here. I get it. No, I don't think they got it at all. I think Jesus had been acting strange for the last several weeks. He'd been talking about dying over and over and over again. I think that's part of the reason Judas Iscariot wanted out. He was like, this is not the good plan, Jesus. But, but he, Jesus had been talking about dying, and now he says, this is my body. And it was only later that the disciples could say, I know what he meant. That's the first change. Jesus said, this is my body. It's not just bread. It's, it's my body. And, and the second one was at the drinking of the third cup of wine, all right? The third cup of wine was the cup that was the, the redemption cup, okay? The redemption cup. Jesus would have poured that. They all would have taken some, all right? The third cup of wine is, I will redeem you, the redemption cup. Again, Jesus would have lifted it up. Blessed are you, Lord our God. Barak atah, atah, um, Adonai Eloheinu, Melech 
Ha'olam, my Hebrew isn't that good, um, but he would have lifted up, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And again, this is where everything would change. Because after he said those words, he said, drink of it, all of you, that would have been normal. And then this, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus is saying there is something absolutely essential. What Jesus is saying is, I am the Passover lamb. Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's all changing. I am the one who is setting you free. What the blood of the lamb did on the doorpost, I will do for you. I will do that for you. You need me to be free. As Kevin read at the beginning of the service from Hebrews, you know, these sacrifices pointed forward to this. And what Jesus is saying, and I don't think they got it here. I think later on they looked back and they said, oh my goodness, that's what he was saying. He was saying, I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who will set you free. And, and then Jesus said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And, and, and for 2,000 years, for 2,000 years now, Christians have been gathering together in homes and in churches and in other places, some of them under severe persecution, and they have been breaking pieces of bread, whether it's leavened or unleavened. They have been breaking it and eating it. They have been pouring a cup of wine or grape juice or whatever it is, and they have been drinking it, and they have been saying, we do this to remember. We do this to remember and, and what Jesus does is, is he invites us this morning. And this is really basic. This is Christianity 101, but it is so essential. What Jesus says to us this morning is, will you join my story? Will you join my story? As they say, we all have family stories. We all have family stories of where we came from. We all have family stories of who we are. Jesus wants to say, will you join my family story? Will you say, I was a slave, but Jesus Christ set me free. I was a slave, but Jesus Christ made me new. I was a slave. Will we make that? Friends, that's the most important thing in the world to make this our story. This is who I am. More than I am the son of Press and Marge Cool. More than I am the grandson of, of my grandparents, of the Denoyers and the Cools. I am a sinner who has been saved by grace. And, and this is my story. And this is intended to be such a powerful meal. When we celebrate communion, it is so amazing because, again, God says to us, I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to see it, and I want you to live into it. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, you know, for me, a lot of times, I don't think that celebrating the Lord's Supper is quite as meaningful as it should be. I think sometimes I miss it. And, and you know, I think one of the key places for me, and maybe you can find other places, but I think one of the key places for me comes at, at this question here of what are we slaves to? What are we slaves to? The fact is I don't often feel like a slave. I live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? And I can do what I want. And I look at my life and it's pretty good. I mean, for the Israelites in Egypt, it was clear. They were slaves. Their children were being killed. They needed rescue and so on. But the fact is one of the difficulties of living my life is it's really good. And I feel like I can take care of things on my own. And I don't understand. I, I, I think about this. I mean, I can go to my neighbors who are not Christians. I can say, Jesus set you free. And you know what? Their answer would be, from what? From what? I'm not a slave. And yet, we are. Slaves to sin. Slaves to ourselves. Slaves to the brokenness of the world. And if this meal is going to mean anything to me, I have to enter into that time. 
And again, I'm not going to suggest that we start all of our communion services with horseradish or wasabi or salt water, but it might not be a bad idea. But I am going to say what Kevin did at the beginning made a lot of sense. To just take some time to stop and to recognize our sins. And let me confess something to you. I knew it was coming, but when he said it, I thought, hmm, what do I have to confess? I had a pretty good day yesterday. Did a wedding, didn't say any naughty words during the wedding. Uh, pretty nice to Tammy yesterday. See, I don't need Jesus if I can make it on my own. And, 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 and somehow, somehow Christians have recognized that that's why we talk about confession. That's why we spend time doing it. That's why we take time. Not because we want to say, you need to feel terrible, but just to recognize the story, to remember that my story is that I was a slave to sin. Now when I stop and I'm honest about it, when I break down the barriers that keep me from recognizing that, I begin to start, start to see. It, it didn't take God long this morning to start to say, uh, yeah, Ron, let me tell you about this. Ron, what about that person who's sitting pretty close to you and what you said to them this week? Ron, what about that person? What about this? What about that? And I realized I am a slave, God. I think my dad, he's getting older. He's 83, and I was down there this week. I was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and he's, he seems to be coming back from some of the dementia, but it's, it, he recognized my name, or my voice this week. That was really good. But sometimes he does now, and sometimes he doesn't. We don't know if more will come back. But I think, God, he needs to be set free. I think of cancer. I think of my selfishness. I think of my pride. And when I do that, then all of a sudden I say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to be just given for me. Do this in remembrance of me. How do we do that? How do we live the story? I, I, I just want to, that's why I said, I want to challenge you to think about that about how we can better as a family, not just hear the story, but live the story. As we do this today, I, I think, again, there are three things that we do. Confession in, in our services, especially in communion services. We, we do spend time, either through song or prayer, confessing our sins. And I think we need to have that sense of bitterness, of the brokenness of this world and then remembering that Jesus Christ gave his life. Friends, we, we have to start the night as slaves. We have to start the morning as slaves, but we must never end the morning as slaves. He is the one who sets us free, and so we remember that, the blood of Jesus, that he shed his blood, and then committing ourselves to holiness, committing ourselves to getting rid of the sin, the leaven in our lives. It, if you pay really good attention, you know that whenever we have communion, we say, if you're visiting with us, we want to know, you to know that you're welcome. If you, if you can say that, I know I'm a sinner, and Jesus died for me, and I want to follow him with my life, that's what we're doing. We're telling the story. That's my story. I am a sinner, and apart from Christ, I might fool you, but I cannot fool him. And so if you are visiting this morning, we want to invite you to join us. If you know if you know you're a sinner and Jesus died for you, and if you do want to live your life serving him, none of us do it perfectly. We all have family stories. As we close, we all have family stories. May this story be 
the most important family story. And this morning, by God's amazing grace, may we start out this service as slaves and end it as free people. Let's pray together. Father, we need to just stop a minute right now and, and take a moment to again recognize our sinfulness, our brokenness, our failures. We're really good at blaming others. We're really good at saying we're not as bad as somebody else. Father, we know that we need Jesus. We know that we are slaves to sin, just like Judas and Peter and the rest of the disciples around that table. And we need you to die for us. So thank you for being the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. It is in your name we pray. Amen.